If I could tell you just one thing is a brand new event industry podcast presented by me, Mel Noakes. And me, Max Fellows. It's a podcast from Elevate where industry leaders write a letter to their younger self. And they consider what wise words of advice they would give themselves now if only they could. Our discussion is based on this letter. Be prepared for refreshingly honest conversation and wise words of wisdom. Our next guest is Shani Mears. She's the co-founder and head of talent at a London-based creative agency called The Elephant Room. She's a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, former government advisor, Adweek Future Female, and Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2023. She's the creator of the Guap Blacklist, a list of 30 under 30 black creatives and professionals across the creative industries. And on top of that, she's also a lecturer at Kingston University. Shani is a born entrepreneur. Her ability to build, connect and develop relationships with young people from the wider creative industry drives the Elephant Room's talent beyond any traditional agency's reach. She is a window into a completely untapped generation of talent and a bridge between opportunity and people. She tries to find those people that are hungry and passionate from the spaces and places the industry doesn't usually look. She says that's where the gems are. Shani says her success story could be so many other people's success story if someone just took a chance on them. And that's why she's the perfect guest for this podcast. Thank you so much for joining Mel and I on the sofa. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Amazing. Um, love you to start by introducing yourself. Name, place, where do you come from? Yep, so my name's Shani. I am 29 years old. I'm from Birmingham and well, originally from Birmingham, but now live in London. I, I run a creative agency that I co-founded when I was 23 with um, my mentor called Dan Saxby, and that's called The Elephant Room. Um, I'm also a former dancer, which people know but kind of don't know. Um, so I feel like that's important to say. Um, and I grew, yeah, I grew up in the arts, so I'm really into like sort of the performing arts, like music, theatre, um, film, that kind of stuff. But now I feel like I've taken a different turn into much more the sort of marketing space, advertising space, which is still cool because you can use your interest in that space, but I'm not performing anymore. And um, I'm one of four, um, and my dad died when I was four, but I'm the youngest in the family, and I have three nephews who I love dearly, and currently pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit going on then. Yeah. And um, one bit. of the things that comes through your letter, and one of the things that Max and I have watched with a lot of interest, is the work that you do, in particular around the Elephant Room, and the way that you support a lot of young talent coming through the industry, and the work you've done around One Month Mentors and so many of those spaces. And, and from your letter, it looks like supporting others has been quite a theme that's run through your life. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. I think, I feel like from a young age, I was always really encouraged to sort of speak my mind. Like, you know, at school, like school council and prefect and head girl and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like at the time when I was like young growing up, I didn't really look at it as like something I could necessarily like tap into as a career or even I didn't even look at it as a thing that people would clock onto as me as a character. I just thought it was just something I was doing because I enjoyed it or I was just giving my opinion because somebody asked. But then I think when I stepped into the advertising space and um, initially started my internship, I realised 
actually how much insight and cultural value it is to sort of say your opinion and to sort of, um, I suppose, bring a lot of yourself to the table. And initially it started off like that. And then when I did that, I realised, oh my gosh, there's so many other people like myself that don't even know where to start when it comes to entering the industry or don't even know how to articulate what it is they want from Mm. the industry and stuff like that. And then I suppose I just became not necessarily a voice, but I definitely became quite more invested in helping people discover what that looks like. And particularly when it comes to like access. So looking at roots of how do people even apply for a job? What does what does a real good CV look like? Or if I can't write a CV, how do I get the attention of somebody else? Mm. Like how am I building my portfolio, etc. And I think I just sort of fell into that space of like really wanting to give. Um, and really wanting to help people understand that it's not you. Like, it's just really hard. So you can tap into the ways of who you are and still not necessarily have to compromise yourself. Because I think a lot of the time, I talk to like, like a lot of my friends or young people and they'll be like, oh, I think I have to be a certain way on LinkedIn to 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 get noticed. Or mm. I think I have to use this type of language in my CV to make sure that that person reads it. But... My advice to them is always like, no, you actually don't. You have to just be your absolute self Mm. and you have to share the things that you like, talk about the things that you like, and that's what will make you stand out. And I think the more I did that, the more that gave me ideas to do stuff like one month mentors, the more that to start the communities that I've done. When I first moved here, I started at... um, an event series called Girls Let's Talk and that was all about just bringing like women together and being like-minded and sharing ideas and stuff like that and I think all of that has just literally come from I think when I was young but I've now like I suppose formulated it into a way where it actually works for me as well like in my Mm. career like not only like giving it obviously it's a nice to do thing but you can actually also tap into like skills and Mm. the ways in which you can help people and stuff almost like a bit of an ecosystem then yeah, in terms exactly. of people through it. So where, where you're saying about it and, and completely value that in terms of that confidence and seeing, you know, you expressing yourself and having the confidence and it's the confidence piece for me. At what point did you have the confidence to go, you know what, I can do it or I'm doing it. I'm now in a position to help others. What was that tipping point, I suppose, from you doing it for yourself and thinking, right, you could just carry on doing it for yourself to the point where actually... I'm doing it well enough or I'm confident enough in order to actually I've got something or I've gone through something to help others? That's a good question. I think I'm actually not quite sure at what point it was, but I definitely know that after I completed my internship and and Dan had said to me, let's, let's start the elephant room, I think that gave me an immense amount mm. of confidence because it made me feel like, wow, like, this person really believes in me that I can do something that I've never done before, never stepped into that space before. And I think that that empowerment that I felt from that mentorship and relationship that I had, that then gave me enough confidence to feel like, almost like it's okay to fall because I know that someone's going to have my Mm -hmm. back anyway. And then I think when, as we started, um, I learned so much like, well, I'm still learning, to be honest, since we've been building the agency. And I think now I'm just, I'm unafraid to fail or to to not necessarily get something completely right. Mm. Because I know that actually there's 
there's people who I really respect that believe in me. Mm. And I think that then just gives me the confidence to instill that in others because I feel like if you wait to be quote-unquote perfect, it will just never happen or occur. But the confidence piece, I think it's kind of, to be honest, I feel like it turns on and off. I think the most, I always say like, confidence is something for me that it occurs. Like I'm not always confident, but actually I'm always comfortable. Like I've never tried to compromise myself. I've never changed how I speak, dress, show up. And being 100% comfortable in myself has allowed me to then be confident. Mm. And sometimes I don't feel confident, whether that be I'm just having a bad day Mm. or... I'm not prepared for this meeting that I've been told I was going to happen two days ago. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, But actually, because I know that I'm comfortable with myself and how I show up and everything I've done so far, it then it just allows me to tap into, again, that person of who I am and bringing my full self to the table. And I think that's also really important. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure when it actually like switched on, like, oh, I can do this or I can help those people yeah. or... I can actually have that idea. But the one thing that I think has 100% empowered me is the relationship that I hold with Dan. It's like, that's really empowered me to sort of be, say, do what I want. Mm. <laughs> it's, always... it's a really special thing. And it's funny because yeah. we obviously share a connection there because yeah, I know yeah. Dan from my Iris days, but quite a few years before your Iris days. <laughs> yeah. But that, you know, Iris in particular was a brilliant breeding ground and, and continues to yeah. be for talent and people spotting talent. But it's really interesting to me that mentor-mentee relationship and the power of that to really propel you forward. And that, mm. let's be clear here, you were in your early 20s when you set up this agency, yeah, having yeah. completed an internship. Yeah, literally like <laughs> straight out of uni. <laughs> straight out of uni, completing a dance degree. And I'd, I'd, I'd done like a two-month like crash course almost in like marketing And then the way how it was set up where there was 10 agencies that then had to pick who they wanted. Iris then picked me. Very smart, Iris. Well done. (laughs) And then then I was was at Iris for 10 months, yeah. And and after that, it was initially a six-month internship. They had extended it because it, it it felt like almost like cut short so they were like you know what let's extend it and still see what, what where we can give you a role but I think the challenge was is that because I was coming from a non sort of marketing background it was hard to put me in like a, a department per mm. se because my skill set necessarily wasn't an art director or an account manager or PR it was I was still almost like understanding what my skill set was but during that process over the course of the 10 months, that mentee-mentor relationship like bloomed and all the things that I did bring to the table, um, I suppose Dan was like super curious about. And then after that um, 10 months, he then offered me a job and then I politely declined. But then... Because <laughs> yeah, I felt like... I felt like I still hadn't found what it was that I was going to do. So although I felt like, although I felt like super, super grateful that they wanted to keep me because that was the aim, Mm. I didn't actually know what I would then, what the value would be of me because I didn't fully felt like I found it. And because I was doing, like, I do quite a bit outside of work as well. 
And because I was doing that, I felt like, will I be able to bring all of that into work? Like, are they going to use me as much as I feel like I, I could be used? And I was I was thinking probably not. And not not that that's any fault of theirs, but I just think the, the way the industry is naturally set up, like when you're someone who's doing loads of different things, sometimes it's hard to to let you do all those different things mm. or or um like be, be multifaceted in a space that has so much structure and in in this case I didn't have a quote unquote direct skill set so they couldn't necessarily just say oh yeah go and manage that client because I didn't know how to do that yet yeah. I didn't have that experience the boxes that exactly they had. so um so, yeah, that's what I it's did. A, it's incredibly oh. brave. I mean, the idea being that you are of a you know group of people, you get selected, and the aim of that selection is to do work experience and get hired, you get the job, mm. or offer the job, and then you turn it away based on actually you still haven't at that point found exactly what you're after, whereas actually I think the majority of people would think, right, well, I'll take the job whilst I do that perhaps, or just get in there. That confidence is something that that came through in your letter, I suppose. But equally, that what what's the kind of the the contrast to that was that kind of fear factor, the fear of failing and things. And so you mentioned mm-hmm. there about Dan quite a few times, things like that. I've met Dan as well; he's a top top guy. But it's only when you kind of connected with him properly that you had that confidence because of this safety net or, or otherwise and things like that. Yeah. What What would you say up until that point? or even since then, in terms of this fear of failure and, and, and what have been the biggest failures that you've learned the most from in that process, all that's helped, again, fuel this confidence? I think I think it's been a few things, to be honest. I think I learned I I learned, quite a bit when I was at Iris, and I learned a lot about just, just, like, managing structure, process, understanding, like, language and presenting ideas and stuff like that but I wouldn't say I had it in the bag like Mm. it wasn't it was just something I became more aware of but during my time at Iris I was also like I said I started the event series Girls Let's Talk I was also working with um, uh, two of my best friends uh, Ibrahim and Jide at Gua um, and I was helping them build that at the time and then I was also writing because I enjoy like sort of like blog writing and I was writing for Afropunk at the time and also doing some work for Guat. And I feel like when I was doing all of that, although I was learning loads, I feel like I was also doing a lot of things wrong. Mm. And not only did it, it obviously, I suppose you could say it was failure, but it helped me also then get to that decision of the point of where I said no to Dan, because I realized there's no way (laughs) I could stay in this agency feel good about it knowing that I can't fully do what I want to do and that was because I was I was I was writing I was going to events doing events and I felt like I wasn't very good at all of them and because I wasn't very good at all of them is because I wasn't focused to an extent and I felt like not necessarily that was a mistake but I feel like I'm someone who I want to take on a challenge and I don't say no to very many things. And at the time, I realised that actually had I like maybe put more focus into one thing than another or had I put my all into Iris, maybe I would have said yes. So that made me realise as well that it's not necessarily about failure, but actually 
effort is really important and focus is also really important. And that made me then realise, actually, if I'm going to, if I am going to develop a role for myself, and me and Dan had this conversation, I have to really focus on what is it that I'm going to do? Like, how am I going to really tap into that? Which is when we we just spoke about, like, you know, like helping people and coming up with ideas around communities. And that's kind of where I feel like that was. But I also feel like prior to that, which is, again, not very many people know this, I don't um I used to do dance, but I was doing a lot of events in Birmingham. And, oh my gosh, like, I got given, like, grants, spent all the money, don't even know where it went. <laughs> like, like, I literally couldn't tell you what I spent it on. Lost money. There was one where, like, four people came. Like, it was, like, so bad. Like, and and when I think about that period, I was so sad. Like, I was... It was such a sad period for me because I was literally like, why is none of this working for me? Like, how how have I applied for a grant and I don't even know where the money's gone? Like, I did a budget. Like, where's it gone? Like, I had no, like, literally no idea of how to even handle a thousand pounds, like, at the time. And if I look back at that, I think I just didn't, I just didn't have the mentorship, the guidance, the... I wasn't well equipped at all with the sort of, uh, the people around me. Mm. Although people were encouraging, mm. they didn't actually teach me anything and I think I, t- I took a lot of that into sort of moving to London because I realised, okay, I'm going to start again now and I'm going to still be me, but I have all these learnings that I've done over mm. here. I can't do that again, which is why I then tried all these other things and didn't say no. But again, I wasn't great at that either. And I think those were the sort of fail- say failures, but those were the failures that... I felt like then made me, one, get to a decision where I felt like if I'm going to go into something, I need to know what it is that I'm going to do. But then also made me tap back into just myself because mm. I feel like a lot of my skill set isn't necessarily organising events or writing or I can do those things, but that's not really me. Like if 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 we're going to talk about what I really like to do, it's like building communities, um like building out like ideas for how to how to get communities into a space hence like like the one month mentors and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and I feel like I didn't I didn't know that at all had I had not done all of those things before and although I enjoy those things I don't think they're things that I'd say like yeah I'm a writer or Mm -hmm. I mean or I'm an events organizer like I, I definitely would not describe myself as those things but they're things that I can tap into, and I think I learned a lot in that process. So, well, without them, you wouldn't be where you are, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think pre-London, but then also during that process, I was doing a lot of stuff and just not fully focusing, but failing and learning and mm. realizing, okay, this is this is what I want to do. Because I, I literally remember being one day so sad, and me and Dana took a trip. We had just left, and I literally said to him, I was like, I've got no skills. Like, I literally said to him, I was like, I said to him, I was like, I don't know what I'm good at. And he was like, what? He was like, what do you mean you don't know what you're good at? I was like, I don't know what I'm good at. Like, I, I've got, like, I don't know what my skill set is. Like, I, I just don't know what that is. And he was like, your skill set isn't something that you can, like, because I expected it to be like a visual, something I could bring mm. to life through like writing or drawing or people handling or something like that. And he was like, your skill set isn't that. Your skill set is innate. It's in you. Like, 
it's how you come to the table and present an idea it's it's the things that you formulate based on like where you come from and like your cultural insight the and uh, the way you think exactly and how's and knowledge is like is that skills like in my head I was like is that skills Can you put that on the scene? <laughs> yeah, yeah like like do you know what I mean but actually I remember like a, a couple years after that him coming back to me saying do you remember when you told me he had no skills <laughs> <laughs> I was like I actually do and I fully do remember that day like and he's just like but you've seen how you, that you see now how that your your skills get comes to life and he's mm. right now I see how it comes to life but I didn't I I genuinely did had mm. no idea and no yeah no sight of that at all when so I was got, first starting out I've got a re, um a couple of questions linked to that actually because I think there's something really beautiful about that journey of discovery and learning and yeah. figuring stuff out and for somebody that's clearly multi-passionate yeah. and has got a broad interest in lots of cultural things and you've mentioned some of the things you're involved in and still yeah. involved in yeah. I guess that cultivation and that maturity to kind of get to a point of actually it's okay to learn and part of yeah. this process is me growing and it's not it's not me going wrong, it's me figuring out where my space is mm. in life because we see a lot, especially in maybe our younger members of Elevate who mm. are, I want to get there and I want to be this and I want to be a director in a year and I want to go here yeah. and actually there's real beauty in that journey and that growth yeah. and taking time to figure out where you are. But my question linked to that is, for somebody that is still multi-passionate with so many different things, I mean, you've only got to look at your, I think we're calling it Twitter X now, are we? <laughs> um, to see all the stuff you're involved in. How do you maintain that focus and that that structure, if you like, to be so involved in so many things and add so much brilliance to so many things? I think now, the question I always ask myself when I'm doing something or if I agree to something is does it align back to like sort of purpose? And it sounds so like cliche, but I feel like that's it. Like remember I said before, I, I, I don't say no to a lot of yes. stuff. <laughs> Whereas I think in the past two years, I've I've definitely like been better at being much more um, intentional. And I think a lot of it is down to, is it valuable to myself? So can I genuinely look at that what I've participated in or contributed to and thought I've also learned something in an exchange to like how is it valuable so how do I measure that like is it something that's just going to make me feel good about myself because I've helped somebody or is it something that's going to support my career growth in terms of my profile or is it something that can contribute back to the business like that's kind of how like I'd maybe look, look at that and then like I suppose this is kind of like a a question I can't necessarily always answer on the spot, but is it going to make me happy like three, four years from now that I, that, that, that I did mm. it? And I think those really are the questions I ask myself based on that now. And if I look at all the different things that I'm doing, I, I can genuinely say in the past two years, particularly, I'm really, I'm really happy about the, that I participated or that I contributed to that. So... For example, like lecturing, like I'm really happy I decided to go and apply for that job or contribute to like the students that I did mm. teach over the course of the two years or um, my time at Gua, like that was such a great learning experience and journey. I made friends like that, that, that was that was great for me. And when I was doing Girls Let's Talk, I decided to stop it. Am I happy that I stopped it? Yes, because actually that then gave me room to get involved with other things and other events with other women. 
I built a great community of women around me. So I'm still feeling the, I suppose, the rewards of mm-hmm. what that was. And I think that's kind of how I see that, that multi-passion that you just said, because I think I can still tap into one different sides of the industry. So I can still like, you know, be around music and fashion and that kind of space if I'm doing some work with Guap or I can still like, you know, be amongst like a sort of education academia if I'm doing my lecturing. And those are all things I'm more mm. very passionate about as well as obviously doing my day to day. But the one thing that I always say and always do, and me and Dan again have this conversation all the time, the elephant for room for me is like, it's just a part of me. So it's always going to be a priority. So everything I do, it doesn't compromise my ability to also be still a co-founder and head of talent at the elephant room. So I'm never necessarily like, um, I suppose, instead of doing that, I'm going to do this. It's actually a contribution mm. to the value that I still bring to the agency. And that and that's also really important because sometimes you kind of get that as well. Like you mentioned the younger elevate people wanting to be a director. I, I, I had that kind of vision for myself. Like when I was about 22, 23 thinking, by this age, I'm going to be here. By 30, I'm going to be doing this. And if I don't be doing, like, literally. And now I'm just like, okay, first of all, what's going to make me happy? Because that's really important. Mm. But equally as well, like, what is it that I want to experience? And and what does that look like? And it doesn't always look like what the director, the, it doesn't what always, of yeah, what you thought of, yeah, yeah. exactly. It doesn't always look like that. And I think, I think that's really important. So I think that's kind of how I sort of hold myself account to to, to deciding what to do and also making sure it's focused that mm. it always aligns back to one, a contribution of myself, but also never compromising what I'm already doing full time. Do you say or would you say, sorry, that there is one of those kind of values or those aspects that you pull it back to it holds the most weight? Is there one that's more important than any of those others? amongst those kind of deciding factors for you? Um, I think the compromise bit, does it compromise anything I'm doing at the elephant room? I think that holds a lot of weight. Like, I wouldn't do anything to compromise my, not necessarily time, but what I can give. Mm. And I think that's like, that's really important to me. I wouldn't necessarily say like it holds the most weight, but it's definitely something I think about first before I then ask mm. my question, how does it make me feel, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it probably it probably does hold the most weight in, to an extent, actually, because if it did compromise, I probably then wouldn't even consider it. So, yeah, I think that that mm. question. Do you think, and, and back to your letter you mentioned and, you know, as Mel said, you know, these accolades are 30 under 30 with Forbes and looking at it and I'm like, mm, got to step up a bit. But did, did you ever think when you were, you know, a teenager or, you know, when you're well into dance, things like that, that's where you would be. Did you ever think that that is where you could be? Whether it's had the vision or the aspiration? Um... Honestly, no. I don't think I even knew what Forbes was. <laughs> but, but have but you surprised yourself? I've, I've I've surprised myself to an extent because I think as a child, um, in school, um, and in college, 
I was always quite ambitious. So I remember, and and I, I was actually really into law at one point and really into, I, I mentioned I was at school council. I was literally on every council board. Like I was literally always debating something. My mum was like, Surely you're gonna go into law Just because eat your dinner. You're <laughs> you're honestly, it. <laughs> yeah, like there was always something. I was always writing something. I remember writing letters to my head teacher and about the, the girls' toilets and stuff like that. And I think that, that at that point, I genuinely thought I was gonna go into law. So I remember um, in being in year four. I'll never forget. I, ne- I remember being in year four, and my teacher asking the whole class, um, "Put your hand up if you're gonna go to university." And I put my hand up and said, I'm going to Oxford. <laughs> Good girl. First of all, I don't even know where I got that from because I definitely didn't know what Oxford was. But I still remember saying that up until like year eight, like having this vision of me, like going to like this Russell Group University. And again, I don't even know where I got that idea from or but I must have got it from somewhere. And I felt like I've, I had always been quite ambitious. But I think... When I think about actually how my life has actually panned out, I didn't think it would be this way. I didn't think I would still be able to be as creative as I am or I didn't think I'd... I definitely was thinking a much more traditional route to being successful Mm. because that's kind of how it was made and played out to me as a child and, again, going into, like, school, college. So I think... What I've surprised myself with is how much I've been able to just remain me, like, and still, like, I suppose, sit with the big boys or, Mm. like, get onto things like Forbes and be invited to, like, Downing Street, like, all that kind of stuff I didn't think I would... I would be able to do as me. I I thought that I'd probably be a lawyer doing Mm. it or or something like that, but I didn't even know people, people in the creative industry did stuff yeah. like that or got involved in politics or social politics or anything like that but so I've definitely surprised myself in that aspect for sure have you stepped forward into those things so le- lecturing as you're mentioning in, in your letter as well the Forbes thing mm-hmm. you know have they found you or have you kind of stepped forward and put yourself out there for them I would say a bit of both I'd say Forbes I applied so that definitely was self-nomination um and that was twice, actually. So I got Forbes this year and I applied last year as well and I didn't get it. So and I just went again because I was like, nah, there's no way. <laughs> <I'm having it. laughs> like, I was like, there's no way. Like, like I, not even, not in a quote-unquote big-headed way, but I was like, I know my accolades at this point now. So I was like, surely I can get Forbes because I can do this. Like, So I just went again and... Love that. And I did that. But things like Adweek, Future Female and stuff, they they all found like found me, I suppose. Mm. Like that was like my approach. Dan puts me forward for a lot of stuff as well. Oh, Dan. <laughs> um, um, it's the incredible weight that a champion has, right? But, yeah. but having someone in your corner, everyone needs a, a Dan, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I always say like that empowerment piece is so important. Particularly I always say it to clients as well, like to retain particularly young people, you have to empower them from the beginning and they'll stay because they'll feel empowered constantly. And I think that is that is that is a big part of why I feel again, even just so connected to the elephant room, because that empowerment piece of the relationship that I hold with Dan is really important. 
Um, but again, like, I suppose there's, yeah, I think, yeah, certain things I've been nominated for, but then certain things I've definitely self-nominated. And I always encourage that as well. I tell mm. all my friends to, like, self-nominate. Same. And, yeah, like, I've judged quite a few things and I'll always, like, share with my friends and tell them to, like, put themselves forward and I'll reference them. Like, I, I'm, I'm quite a big believer in that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say, and then, like, boards and stuff. For the boards that I sit on now, how many boards do you sit on? Um, so currently, I've just I've just stopped sitting on the Creative Estuary boards. That was like recent. I currently sit on the Clark Sustainability and Global DEI board, um, and then I stopped sitting on the Downing Street board in probably about two years ago. Um, so he's a mid mid to late twenties, and you're doing board <laughs> yeah. positions. But, it, but it, I love it because it just smashes that that kind of perception of board level is six-year-old white guy that's kind of done his career, sold his business and then floating around to do that and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's still that. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely still that. But I think think for some of the boards that I do so are now, I think they value, like, I suppose, difference. So it's made up of a lot of different people um, and... And voices in terms of opinion and like I suppose sectors as well. So I'd say that the one active board that I sit on right now is the Clark's one. And then earlier, um, they created a new board for the Creative Estuary one. And then the Downing Street one hasn't been for a while. So yeah, I think they all all found found me as well um, or approached me, I should say. Wow. And just going into your letter, because you talk a little bit there about younger people and empowering them from young. And you obviously talk a lot about your childhood and just some of the changes and the challenges that you went through. How much has your childhood, and speaking from someone that lost their dad young as well, so I know how that shaped me, so I'm curious as to how some of those early experiences might have shaped that sort of perception and that, I guess, drive to empower young people so much. I think think so much. And and it's funny because I only really realise how much it's impacted me now. Like, I think growing up, you don't realise how much... It's just normal, isn't it? Yeah, it's just so... Yeah, exactly, so normal. So my dad passing away, I feel like because I was so young, I suppose it's kind of like I didn't... I wasn't... I was sad, of course. I was sad, but I was four, so kind of don't really know what's happening. Like, you just know your mum's crying... You're in a white little dress and you just don't know what's going on. But then obviously you start to process it. But I don't think I processed it until probably then I got to like university. Um, and hearing a lot of stories about other people with their dads and their relationships and like having like just a numbness to it because mm. not fully having that experience. Um, but then equally as well, um, I mentioned Sue in my letter and Sue is my sister and she is severely mentally ill. And that happened when I was 10 due to substance abuse. And again, like, don't fully understand it. You're just kind of living through this turmoil of, I call it dysfunction of like back and forth, like conversations you're overhearing, like, seeing her one way than another and that's like continued to this day and I think 
all of that has contributed to me either wanting to do better and be better or just wanting to sort of, I suppose, make sure that my mum in particular is happy because I feel like she's also experienced quite a lot of sadness Mm. and she's had to quite, I say mask it, but she's had to like sort of deal with it, but then raise us. So it's like, can't really confide in us because we're children. So so it's like she's had to then just like, just fight through it, that resilience or all of those things. And I feel like a lot of that I've then got from her because that hyper-independence, that resilience, that constant need to be strong, like all of that kind of stuff, I feel like I subconsciously just picked that up from her um, and vice versa with my sister as well my eldest sister who is incredible as well but equally building a family and you see what like of all the stuff that she's doing and you just think like I gotta do I gotta do this like I gotta do well like I gotta do I gotta do it because my family are relying on me or like you know the, the I gotta set an example or whatever that is but then equally as well, I think that I had, like, my, my school and, uh, like, area had quite a big um, impact on me as well. So I went to, a, 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 I grew up in a predominantly white area um, and it was at the time known for, like, National Front. So, and that, if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's like severely racist people. It's not just racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, proactively yeah, racist, pro- isn't it? I was going to say, like, literally, quite literally white nationalists. Um, like, EDR, like, we couldn't go outside certain times. Like, like it was quite scary at some points. But then you kind of, again, you start to live with it because it's just the area that you're in. And then you kind of find the people that you can talk to and you stick with that area and it's 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 weird but you navigate it in your own way and I feel like that again had quite an impact on me in terms of like how I show up for myself because I had so many questions to my mom about why are these people doing this or why is that happening and she would explain it but not really and then it led me to my own research my own conversations mm. and that point of discovery and understanding and learning about what was happening, which is probably why I have a, a probably like a, a, I suppose an interest in like social politics as well, I think. But then equally as well, I feel like on the other side where I went to school was predominantly like black and Asian. Like it was like a, literally like a duality. And I feel like not necessarily like, oh, one was better than the other. But both of them had their challenges mm. in terms of the types of people, the area. Um, and you realise that it all then is a contribution of who who you are and what you do and how you feel, etc. And I think growing up, I just had this constant in my head, like, I'm not going to be here forever. Like, I can't. <laughs> like, I was like... I was like, I was never gonna settle in Birmingham. Like I already mm. knew that I love it, but I I I saw so much that I feel like probably shouldn't have when I was like really young. But it actually gave me a real desire to just fight for more mm. and want more. And the one thing that I'm I'm really grateful for my mum is that she never ever dimmed that. She always encouraged me. Like even if she didn't understand it, like. She always encouraged me if I wanted more, I should go for more. Like, mm. 
whether that be the university I picked or the subject or the types of things I got involved in or the dancing performances I was doing. Like, she never was like, oh, I don't really think you should. Like, it was always like, you know what? I don't know, <laughs> but if you like it and it makes you happy, then go express mm. yourself and don't, like, don't stop. So I think all of those things are contributing factors to that. And then, again, from my dad's perspective and, like, my sister getting sick and stuff, I think it just made me also realise this life's just so short, like... So many things can happen and it's just, you just, you just got to make it the best way you can. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I think, I think my mom's a really good example of that. Like she, I, I think I feel like overnight, I feel like I saw her become the man of the house. Like, and by the man of the house, I mean, I remember my dad driving us everywhere. I remember my dad picking us up I remember and then I just remember him one day not being able to walk and like my mom having to do everything and I was just like what's going on like we had this like real chain in the house again I was so confused like but then I realized he was he was obviously just getting more sick because he, he died of cancer so he was just getting more sick and as he deteriorated my mom had to sort of step up mm. So And I remember seeing that dynamic just shift and I realised I still hold the view today, like, you just never know. Like, yeah. anything can happen. People change, life changes. And sometimes it's it's not it's no one's fault. It's just, you know, the way life turns out. And I think I've learnt that. And I think with that, I've just had, I suppose, a lot of, like, strive to just, just do stuff if you mm. feel like it or say if you believe in it or, do you know what I mean? And I think... They're, they're really important. I think it stems a lot from from all those things that I'd, I'd seen growing up. But mm. now I can talk about it and articulate it and also I suppose I can process it for myself. Whereas as a teenager, I didn't really know how to process it. As a, a sort of in my early, early 20s, like 20, 21, 22, didn't ever really want to talk about it. It was just... Something that, again, didn't really know how to articulate. But now I feel like we have a much more open environment in my family even. Mm. And it it just feels a lot more safer because now I'm like, we can talk about it. Yeah. We we feel, we feel okay talking about it. And everyone has their ways in which they've dealt with whatever we've, we've now gotten through as a family and we've stayed together. Amazing. So, yeah. And, that, and that's taking you up to now. And, and so... What's driving you forward? What, what are you What are you doing it all for now? And and what does that kind of I say end goal? But what does success look like in kind of years to come for you now? Um. Well, I'm pregnant, so <laughs> <laughs> so definitely. I think I think I'm I'm really excited to meet the the Shani version of a mom. Like I don't know who what she's gonna be like, but I know that now there's a real intention of like being a great mom, a great role model, like, and like just giving the best, well, hopefully giving the best absolute life to the, my baby. But then also I think, again, like I didn't think that approaching 30, this is how it would be. <laughs> so and even just a year ago, again, I was in Amsterdam. So the intention wasn't even to be back so soon. But 
But again, like life just happens. So I think for me, and it might even sound cliche, but the goal is really to be happy and to make sure that I'm happy with the decisions that I've made. So that's what success is for me. And to make sure that I never lose that continuous spark to want like want more. And, mm. and more could be, it doesn't necessarily have to be necessarily like work, business. It could just be from a family perspective or you know, how I, like, how I choose to parent or learn and stuff like that. And I think I'm really excited to see that version of myself um, and and then to see what that then value brings to the business mm-hmm. as well because we're still so young as a business. So I'm still really excited to grow that and look at... I've done six and six and a half years as me early 20s approaching 30 now I'm gonna go into my late 30s as a I say late 30s but I'm gonna go into my 30s as a mom but still doing the work I do and I think that my perspective on a lot of things will be different so Mm. I'm excited to see what what that looks like I think it's amazing as an an answer it's not and, and if I've ever asked this for people it's you know, I want the business to be here, sell it, exit, and live in yeah. Dubai. Or, yeah. or you know, but it, what was really refreshing, and interesting about that is it's about you as a state yeah. more than anything. Actually, what does success look like in five, ten years? It's, it's a certain state. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm I'm big on the state of me because I've I've just learned as well. Like, I can't do things when I'm unhappy or stressed or. Like I, 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 I could, like I genuinely can't. Like I can't do it. Like I just, I can't contribute. Mm. I can't bring myself to to do anything if I'm in that state. So I've learned that sometimes I have to let go of like all those sort of miles. Because I, I do still, to an extent, think in that way. But I've learned that actually, what is my mind state? What is that? Where, where am I? as a state before I then push into those spaces. Mm. Um, and I think I learned a lot about that growing up as well, because seeing the 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 impact of mental health from a family perspective, both the from my sister, but then equally what that does for, from a secondary point of view, because, I mean, naturally, we all have people that care about us. So when we're not happy or sick, it then affects other people either watching you or, and you don't really want that. So I think I'm also mindful of that as well, like making sure that when I'm in a state of happiness, my my surrounding is also happy and people around me are happy. And not that I have to make sure that I'm happy for other people, but it's making sure that actually the environment I put myself in, to an extent, I'm also accountable for that in terms of the state that I'm in and mm. not and not necessarily um I suppose putting myself in a quote unquote hard position because I've not thought about like how I feel or etc. And I think I try to do that a lot, reflect, reset, all that kind of stuff because I I'm aware that it doesn't just only affect me but it also affects others as well. And I think that that's also important. So I think that's why that answer is so specific mm. about about that. Yeah, love it. The other thing I loved about your answer is the excitement of what comes next after a baby. I think so many people in our industries, especially women, right? I think it's less so for men go, 
well, can I still do this if I have a baby? And what will that look yeah. like? And will I have to change? And I love that you're, that's not even a question. You're like, <laughs> I'm going to have this baby. It's going to be amazing. And then more amazing is going to come after it. It's not <laughs> yeah. even a question. And I think that's really refreshing. And I think it's so important for our industry, especially females in our industry and the men around us to support that is to, to realise that new normals can be formed and it's not an Absolutely. either or, it's a figuring out what that looks like in, you know, when, when life does change because life changes for all of us and, Actually, we've had some brilliant um, guests on talking about their their sort of experiences as a parent. I'm thinking about Jonathan and talking about how he had to shift. And you mm. don't often hear that from the from the father's side. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just, I loved the fact that you were just like, bring it on. Yeah. Having this baby and then there's a whole lot more to come. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, which fun. we don't doubt. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it will be fun. I think it'll be hard, but I think it'll be... Uh, I'm just excited because I just don't know what it, what it's gonna be. So I feel like, yeah, amazing. Like here we go. Like yeah. <laughs> let's a go. whole new adventure. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and I think to your point about that, um, you know, women in our industry. I think that that's also really true. And I've and I've I've had a lot of those conversations speaking to, like, new mums, speaking to mums who have got like teenagers and speaking to women who are super senior and I've ha I've asked all those questions like did you feel like you could do it did you feel supported like how was it going back some people have had like two three kids and then they've gone on maternity I've got so much anxiety going on maternity I'm like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm gonna be out for so long but but actually I think there's a beauty in talking about it mm -hmm. because Definitely. I think like all my conversations have actually been quite positive like and even if someone hasn't that like maybe had a challenge, they've over they've overcome it, and that's what I feel like gives me that confidence because I'm like, of course things are gonna be hard, but actually there's something that are gonna be also really great. Yeah, like it's a, it's a natural it's a natural way to be. So I think I think that new normal is a is a hundred percent. Like I, I truly believe that. So the power of that talking, and you know, in terms of the advice for you, so. I suppose that links quite nicely then on in terms of the advice that you've been given and receiving and things like that and, and asking for. As part of this podcast, obviously the, the premise of it is, is around that letter, but equally what's that one piece of advice that's so good that you need to pass it on? I think my one piece of advice would be to never underestimate yourself because actually I think nine times out of ten you you, you probably can do it. And the doubt will be there, but just move past it because you can't look at failure as failure, but actually it's just a lesson. So I think for me, that would be my number one piece of that. Don't underestimate who you are. Love it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, brilliant. Love the chat. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Do you know what I loved about that chat is one just... We were talking about this just as as she was leaving, like just the serenity and calmness. There's not none of this sort of aggressive ambition in there. It's this real gentle ambition, if that makes sense, and this real sense of I because I, I talk a lot about this to a lot of people I work with, like what does success look like? And you you mentioned it really mm. nicely, and you wrapped up really nicely in that sort of state. She has a real zenness mm. to her that really comes across. It's, I'm I'd like to think that I'm quite driven all the rest of it, but. I was just really compelled by how it's just a different type of 
ambition and, and it doesn't take anything away from the goals you know Not at all. even bigger and you know more monstrous or what have you but but the weaving in of a sense of happiness and almost this state and, and people talk about state a lot and yeah. obviously Matt did as well in our um, inspo sessions but it's this incredible positioning and this non-negotiation if it doesn't fit with this and she talks about things that fit in with those values and yeah. stuff it's a no and to turn down the job that you've been <laughs> working, working towards. towards at the end of it because of that I just think is is so refreshing and and how confident and, and the confidence it takes to put yourself forward to lecture others and to put yourself forward to mentor others and to set up these other community-based projects when I would have thought actually in your 20s you're still just discovering yourself. Yeah but I think you know it, it came across so well and obviously we're completely biased given what we do but that power of the mentoring relationship yeah, well, and obviously Dan, her yeah. and Dan and that yeah. relationship. And I I sort of reflect on my own mental relationship with Steve and the sort of power of that and somebody believing in you and where that can take you when you don't know where you're going or what that looks like or how, but to have somebody else see that in you and be able to take you places you never dreamed of, like that's why we do what we do, right? That's what yeah. Elevate's all about. But the other thing I really loved is her honesty about the challenges, because I think a lot of people see Shani and go, oh my God, you're an overnight success and I could never do that mm. and it's all been rosy and it's all been easy and she talked really openly and honestly through, you know, it wasn't always a rosy childhood in terms of the challenges she faced and the things she had to go through quite young, yet she always made the best of it and she was looking at the lessons and taking, you know, taking strength from that and watching the things go on, but it was certainly not this sort of overnight success yeah. and you know everything's been perfect and everything's been easy and yet she's leaned into taking the positives and finding the strength and how to take it forward and yeah. I thought that came across really strongly as well and, and she mentioned some of these failures and failures is quite a harsh word but she shared this sense of you know they're never failures actually they're lessons and, and I love that and I, I follow that same sentiment mm -hmm. entirely but the fact that it's okay and to not know the end goal and I think there's just so much pressure on this mindset of when you leave school or even in school to what you want to be to then going right that's the course you have to tread and I don't know many that that have chosen that and she's obviously an exceptional dancer and that was her thing for quite a while while she then started writing this passion so the fact is she's now running a successful agency she's involved with three or four other projects sitting on boards <laughs> three boards and things like that's amazing and she never perhaps thought she was going to be there but she did have vision that she was going to be something quite quite good, quite great even. And we've seen that across many of the podcasts now, haven't we? That sort of path that you think that you're going down and then being open enough to take some different paths and different directions and that that can really yeah. pay off in the end. You know, we saw it with Michael, yeah. saw it with SJ, we've seen it again today. There's some great examples there and I think there's so much pressure on, especially younger people, to have it all figured out and it just goes to show that flexibility can really pay off. I mean, what what a great conversation that was. Yeah, really different, but incredible and refreshing in the same way. Amazing. Elevate operates thanks to the generosity of our partners and supporters. To find out more about them, you can check them out via our website, elevateme.co. Together, we're changing lives, careers and the events industry for the better. This podcast was powered by Wonder, the independent specialist creative business to business and business to employee events agency. And a huge thanks goes to our producer and fellow team elevator, Pete Kerwood.